Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Welcome to another episode of Small Doses. Now, we have been giving you some refills, which are us revisiting dope episodes that we've done in the past. And part of that is because, you know, it's summer, uh, but also because there's just really like things that we have talked about that people will ask me, like, can you talk about that again? And I'm like, we can talk about it again, but we can also just give you like the one that we did talk about with a little extra sauce on the side. Now, it is about that time where people are headed back to school. I can't believe that it's already about that time, but some people are heading back to school. Some people are heading off to school. And college is a huge milestone that is taking place in a lot of people's lives right now, whether it's sending a child off to school, whether you are starting teaching and professorshiping at a school, whether you are heading off to school yourself. Going to college is a big fucking deal for a number of reasons. Of course, the obvious reasons that we all know, which is like, you know, you're going into a new space a new setting, you're embarking on a new adventure, et cetera. Yes. But in my opinion, it's even more of a bigger deal at this time in our nation's history because we have seen that the actual effort towards keeping people uneducated is now going to a legislative level in ways that I just wasn't even expecting to happen in this lifetime. When we start seeing that like, You don't even need a college degree to teach in Florida. They are fine with you just having a certificate and being a veteran. You don't need a college degree to teach in Arizona either. We start to see not that, uh, listen, don't get me wrong. That also sends a message that like teachers aren't valued. And what I think we need to understand from the next step after that is that if teachers aren't valued, then that means education isn't, isn't valued. And if education isn't valued, you ask yourself, why? Why are they not valuing education? Because all the people who are making these rules are people who have higher educations, people who have been to Ivy League schools, people who have been a part of legacies of generations that had access to higher education. So why are they all of a sudden acting as if education is not important? And it's because they know that knowledge is power. They know that. It is the same thought process behind not allowing slaves to learn to read. Knowledge is power. Now, you will have people that will say, well, going to college is really just about spending money. It's not about actually learning anything. I'm not going to say that they're wrong in every instance because in some places that is what it is. But what I will say is that it can be what you want it to be. And I talk about that ad nauseum in this episode because my college experience was a unique experience and it definitely went way different than I thought it was going to go. I thought I was just going to go to college for acting at SUNY Purchase and it was going to be an amazing experience and I was going to get out and then I was going to be an actor and blah, blah, blah. That ain't how it went down. That's not how it went down. 
I ended up having a pivot and create my own major, which sent me on a whole other course. Then I went and got my master's in African American studies with the concentration in hip hop and, you know, became part of my whole passion. And now, as you see, the work that I do as a creative and as an advocate for social justice is centered in my knowledge of academia, my knowledge as a Black person experientially and academically. But what I want to bring us back to is the fact that going to school on a higher level is a responsibility. And I think a lot of people don't really grasp that, but especially in a time where we are seeing such an effort being made to keep people from having access to higher education or to even educators that are educated. Huh? Right? Because the thing about what you learn in college is you learn things like nuance. You learn things like critical thinking. You learn things like comparative analysis. And these are things that absolutely inform you to be able to comprehend information differently. And when you're able to do that, when your brain is able to synapse in those ways, you are able to see things way clearer than just as they are shown to you. You know the whole phrase, read between the lines? That's what you're learning when you are in school and you are given the opportunity to, to really look at texts and look at history and look at numbers and look at science in a far more intensive environment. It expands your brain. It strengthens the way that you understand things conceptually. And it exercises your ability to also understand other perspectives. Because you're in a setting with other people who are doing the same thing as you, looking at the same text as you, but applying it through their own lens. And when you're able to do that, it's a beautiful thing. It exposes you. Your brain needs as much information as possible for it to expand, right? That's why like, even with like animals, like if you have a dog, they're like, you, you have to play with the dog. You have to show, you have to challenge the dog. You have to take the dog places if you really want it to have an enriched life. And it's not just because you don't want it to be bored, but it's because your dog will actually be smarter because of this, because you're giving its brain the opportunity to make new connections, which allows it to expand. That's why we talk about travel, right? We talk about how important it is for people to travel. When people travel, they get to see new perspectives. But on like a neural level, it allows their brain to make new connections. And the expansion of your brain is what allows it to be able to understand things on a higher level and to protect yourself, to be able to see like intrinsically, like with an insightful mind. And so they want to keep people from doing this because if you do this, you expand your mind and you're able to see clearly then you'll be able to see clearly the oppression that is being put forth. And then you will be able to challenge it, not only because you have the clarity to see it needs to be challenged, but because you also have insight into other ways that people have challenged this exact thing. And because you have studied it, because you have had exposure to it, you're able to identify, oh, I've seen this before and I've seen how they fought it. And I can synthesize on how it applies to now this current era and identifies ways to improve upon this. You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm getting at y'all? 
You see what I'm getting at, y'all? It's the AI of you. So going to school, going to college is more than just like going to party. It's more than just getting away from your parents. It's more than just getting to create a new identity for yourself. It's all those things. And that's beautiful. It is a social um, interactive experience that is imperative to expanding your identity. And I also want to impart upon you that you can go to school and not like it and go to another school. There's also that too. You don't just got to drop out. You can find another way. There's other ways. Okay. Not all programs operate the same. You can identify other programs that may make more sense to you in the way that you learn. You have to research this. If you are someone who's going into a school as a professor, please remember that your students are individuals because it can get so easy to start looking at folks as just numbers. The way that these colleges pressure professors to like make these courses and people need to be signing up for your courses and you got to like peddle your wares. Like that's why you start seeing all these weird ass courses. Like I just saw someone teaching a course on Harry Styles. That's just because people are trying to get students to enroll in their courses because these colleges see that as a way for them to make more money. So it's always about like weaponizing and capitalizing education. It's always about that. But then you figure out how to do that in a way that still is, is increasing that synapse. And I encourage all of my educators who are listening to, 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 to explore that challenge because that right there is, you know, it's always about us outsmarting the smarties. So the more smarties we have that are coming at it from the right side of ethics, the better. Because academia can be some factual fuck shit the same way anywhere else can. Institutions breed fuckery. So we need smarties. We need them. Because what we're getting is a, a smaller number of people who have money and people who have education. And we can't have that. And the one thing that they can do is take away your money, but they can never take away what you know. So big ups to everybody who is heading out into the wild blue yonder of school of college, of university. And remember that your education is your own to have. You might say right now that you're going for your parents. You might say right now that you're going on behalf of your family's legacy, et cetera. But remember, once you get there, they ain't there with you. It's you. It's you who's there. And if you have a higher education, you have a higher responsibility to showing up on a higher vibration. I truly believe that. So I see y'all there and I see y'all enjoying this episode of Small Doses, Side Effects of College. Please like, comment, and subscribe. This episode is Side Effects of College. Yeah, I mean, it was time. We had to do it. We had to do it. We had to take it to Colegio because, you know, I am all about the academics. I mean, think about it. Smart, funny and black. Look at the basis of it. It is college based. And I want to talk about college because I am someone who speaks at colleges on a regular basis, but also because I think that there is a very important need to kind of just talk about the ways in which college is effective outside of the academics 
You know, we talk about that. And especially if you're going to like med school or, you know, something law school. Yeah, I get the specifics of that. But for the rest of us, it's kind of like there's a question for a lot of folks on like, well, what do we really gain from college? And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode. Kind of like giving you a full rounded view of what college can really be and what it should really mean um, outside of simply just a source for academic function and incredible bone-crushing debt. And later in the show, we have professional college student because she actually plays one on the Netflix, Ashley Blaine Featherson of Dear White People, joining us later to talk about her experiences on the campus. Let's get into it. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. We're dropping on these hoes. Today's jam droppery is an education versus a degree. So here's the thing. You go to school, you got to tell them what you want to do just so that you can keep paying them. And when you get out, have a certificate that says, I now can do this thing because I spent four years learning about this thing. That's a degree. An education is not just that you spent the time learning it, but that you actually are able to apply it And not even necessarily in that particular field, but in your life. And that is the distinction. So many folks go to school just to get a degree. And then they get out of school and they feel like they wasted their time. They feel unfulfilled. They feel like they don't have any more clarity on where they want to move in life than they did before. Because they were just there to get a piece of paper. And a lot of times that's folks who are going there to like appease their parents or to prove a point or because it's a legacy thing, etc. I ain't saying there's anything wrong with that. But what I am saying is that the best thing you can do with your time is not just get a degree, but get an education. Because getting the degree might get you a job. But the education will at least get you some passion for where you're trying to go. You may not even stick with that path. But an education is actually being able to apply what you have learned in a meaningful way. And this is a very, very big difference. Like when I was in school and I was originally in the acting conservatory and then I left, I was just taking classes and I realized I wanted to drop out of school because I was like, I'm not here to just get some psych degree or some poli sci degree so that I can go on to be a manager at The Gap because that's what it was. I worked at The Gap and all my managers had these big fancy degrees and yet their their main modus operandi of the day was getting up my ass for putting the size stickers on the wrong side of the denim. And I'm like, this can't be life. It can't be life. It can't be love. And I'm like, nah, I'm not doing that. So I was going to drop out of school. But then my professor was like, you can't drop out of school. You're too smart. We got to get you to figure out something else. And we found out I could create my own major. And I ended up creating a black studies major because that's where my passion lay. And like when now people ask me like, well, what do you do with a black studies major? It's like, what? what? I'm a comedian. I'm a commentator. I'm a writer. And I create distinctly from the black American space coupled with, you know, my influences from the Caribbean, et cetera, and just Pan-Africanism. But why do I know about Pan-Africanism? Because I studied black studies. 
So what it did was it actually gave me an education around my passion that I already had, which only in turn expanded my ability to turn my passion into something instead of a job, but into a career. And I think that is the real big difference that you have to look at because that degree might get you a job. But if you hate your job, then was it really worth it? Because when you get out of this school thing, all you have is your education. The one thing that they can never, ever take from you is your education, but they can take that degree. They can take your money. They can take your kids. They can take your job, your car. They can take your name, but they will never be able to take what you've learned. So you want to make sure that when you're in school, that you do your best to curate your experience to educate you versus to simply designate you as somebody who can do this particular thing because the reality is that probably anybody can do that but with an education it becomes what makes it special that you're the one doing it we're serving it before we get into these dmts i know that there's a lot of folks who say like damn i don't even need to go to school i already know what i want to do i already know what i want to do so i don't even need to waste my money And it's not to say that that's wrong, but I want to just impart to you the value of actually going to school when you do know what you want to do, because that's what our whole gem drop was about. Like if you're one of these people who has the actual like luxury of having a passion and not having to figure it out, then you are a step ahead in making sure that you curate your education to serve you in the best way possible. And to me, what college is, is a space where you are given the opportunity to learn critical thinking, comparative analysis, and research skills that will carry you through the rest of your life. And not just in your professional space, but in your personal and romantic space, being able to use those skills will broaden your perspective and will give you more of an opportunity at understanding and peace of mind. And it's not to say that you can't get any of those things if you don't go to school, but it really is just making sure that you, while you're there, use your education to learn how to learn. Because that's what you're going to keep doing for the rest of your life. But you want to do it in the most practical, efficient way possible. And that's what college allows you to do, to find out what is the way that you learn. And it forces you to do that without having the, you know, safety net of your teachers or your mom or your parents, etc. You have a professors and you have you. And it forces you to figure out for yourself individually, how are you going to make this work for you? And those are skills that really, I'm telling you, are hard to learn when you don't have the safe buffer of a college kind of geodesic dome of protection. You know, when you're thinking about paying bills and, you know, dealing with your, your, uh, your health or your kids or just even literally just surviving, like literally just surviving, uh, that's top of mind. College, for the most part, it's its own survival. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. But 
it does it does it does give you a chance to not have everything coming at you all at once so that you can parse through the stuff before it really can take you down. So anyone who's listening and is on the fence on like, should I go to college or should I not go to college? You know, also understand that not every college experience is the right college experience, right? Like you may go to a PWI and be like, damn, like I can't be at this private white institution. Like this shit is draining me. It's killing me. Or you might be at an HBCU and be like, oh, this is not my thing. Like I can't really manage like to get what I want out of this experience. You might be at a liberal arts school and be like, this is too fucking weirdo, artsy, strangey. Did I just see someone walk by wearing a suitcase as a dress? That used to happen like literally on a regular basis. As any purchase, by the way. Um, and so, you know, you, you, you definitely have to figure out also like what makes it the right place for you. And I just, I just, I am so about education because I truly believe that like that is the number one thing that sets everything apart. It is the most powerful silencer to ignorance. It is the most powerful uh, challenger to poverty. And it is the most distinctive way to defining the path that you want and determining your own destiny. But let's get into these DMTs. Do you think somebody can actually pursue going back to college while still trying to break ground with their career? In my case, acting and moving to LA for that field, but I also find myself thinking about going back to college. Is it possible to do both? I mean, listen, anything is possible. Let's start with that, right? You know your limits better than anybody else. But I do think that there's something to be said for the fact that, like, acting is such an all-encompassing grind that, you know, it may be difficult to keep up with both if they are not two things that are synergistic. If you're going back to school for writing or, you know, for screenwriting or, you know, or for acting or for playwriting, et cetera, you know, something that is actually, like, serving the, the, the career field that you're trying to lock in to, then that I feel like is perfect. I think that there is actually something in tandem with that that really helps. And I think also there's it helps in the motivation to have the balance of like this one thing that is like so unwieldy when you're trying to break into a new profession is always has a certain level of unwieldiness and of unsurety. But then on the other hand, college is so structured. You know, and so it can provide for you sometimes like a level of peace when you're trying to figure out this other thing. But I will say all of that to say that it still means that like you got to go to class and it's going to be hard sometimes to like be consistently going to class when you know you have auditions. So it might be a situation where you go to like night classes because they don't have auditions at night. But you can make it work for you as long as it's fulfilling you. And I think that there absolutely is a way for it to fulfill you if you can make a way for the two things to align and serve each other. That, to me, is how you make that work. Is it ever too late to go to college? Nope. Nope. It's never too late to go to college. It's just about why you're going to college that makes the difference. Next question. What advice would you give to someone who is going to take a semester off of college, especially if the reason is due to mental health? Well, I think that the important thing first is to look at, like, how did college affect your mental health? How did that environment, per se, affect your mental health? And I don't even want to say how did college in general. How did that school affect your mental health? Was it a part of the reason why you feel like you need to take time to focus on your mental health or did it have nothing to do with it and it's just something that you're going through that's a change in your life right now? 
Um, I think that it's important when you're on a break from school to still keep your mind stimulated. You know, to still keep things percolating and growing. Uh, when I was graduating from Columbia in 2005, I found myself just plummeting into a depression because I realized that I was so attached to the stimulus of learning and conversation that I was having in camp on a regular basis. And when I didn't have it anymore, it felt like a void had just like sprung up in my space. I mean, it was like I had like a rift um, form. And I was in a, like a real depression for a good year. I mean, I was never suicidal, but there absolutely were mornings where I were, were nights where I would be like, you know, I don't have to wake up. It's not that big a deal. Like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But I think the key is, you know, one kind of looking at like the, the juxtaposition of that school with your mental health and two, making sure that while you do take that time off, that you really explore kind of like what college brings to you and what value it has to you and how you can put yourself in a situation where you can get the most value out of it while being at the most at peace mentally. And that's not always like right in front of you, but it, it's worth exploring. You know, it's worth talking about. And it's also worth continuing to to keep a, a peaked interest intellectually into the spaces that you did find in school that were interesting you know keep reading keep reading keep reading butterfly in the sky okay i had to do it last question how did you know when you were ready to hop into grad school did you go right away i feel like i finally got the hang of what i want to study and how to do school and then there was no time left so in my case, I did end up going to grad school right away. Um, I feel like for me, it was literally like, if I don't do this now, I will never do this. And I think you have to kind of like know that about yourself. I also like dated somebody who left school and took like three years off and came back and finished. And that and we met when he came back to finish. And he and I was like, I, I mean, did you know you were always going to finish? And he was like, yes. I always knew I could leave because I was going to come back. So he had the same confidence in himself returning that I had in the fact that I would, would not, not have returned. Um, but I think it's also like what the reason is that's driving you to grad school that determines whether or not you should go right away. I think sometimes like there's different professions where you may need some work in the field first before you may necessarily want to go on to grad school. And in other cases, it's like, nah, you you go to grad school because you need that degree or you need that exp experience and expertise to be able to go to the next step. You know, like a so social work is a great example of that. And I know a lot of teachers who got their graduate degree while they were teaching so that it could up their pay, it could up their stock, you know, within um, their ability to be in the teachers union, et cetera, et cetera. I ended up going to grad school because I had a, a professor on campus, Rich, Rich Bova. Bova. Professor Rich Bova, I think he's at Brown University. If anybody is listening right now and knows Rich Bova, can you please tell him that Amanda Seals is looking for him? He is one of the like most influential uh educators of my entire like life, along with Professor Donna Davis, Professor Mamadi Matlauko, Professor Thomasina Hutchins. 
I mean, I can safely say that I've had like a really great string of professors who absolutely shaped me into who I am today. And Bova is one of them. And not even because of like the classes he taught. I mean, he was an administrator, but also taught like anatomy and, um, and he taught health, I believe, as well. But he was just like one of these people where like you're so glad that he is at your school because he genuinely cared about the students and how they were going to go into the real world. And he was also psychic, like in a real way. And he was like this like kind, gentle soul. And he would like hold your hand and then give you a reading and then go on your merry way. And he was never wrong. So one day, it's like senior year. I'm crossing campus. And we run into each other. And he holds my hand. And he says, Amanda, you got to go to grad school. I'm like, that's what you saw? No! Because unlike you, I'm like, I done figured this shit out. I'm done. I'm good. I don't, don't want to do this no more. And he was like, you have to go to grad school because you're going to change the world and you're going to need your master's to do it. And like, if you're talking to Amanda Seals and you say some shit like that, then that is exactly what, that's the type of shit that I need to hear to make me do some shit. Like, I literally left from that conversation, went directly to my room and started looking up applications for Temple, NYU, and Columbia. And even still, like, grad school was just kind of, like, this thing that I was really only doing because, like, Rich had kind of, like, put this thought in my head. But I wasn't fully committed to it in, in the sense of, like, okay, I have to do this because of my own accord. But I really, really believe in omens. And I really believe in, like, letting the universe, like, push me in directions and not being scared of taking those directional pushes. And so, like, that's how my mom kind of, like, ended up in a position where she was able to have me and give me everything. And... So far, so good for me where it's like that was something where like I didn't truly know if grad school was the plan, but there was no reason for it not to be the plan. And so with that, it was like you just err on the side of caution. It's like I I didn't know definitively that it wouldn't necessarily be. So it's like, well, if I can afford the applications and it's not going to kill me to take the GRE, I might as well. And I didn't get accepted to Columbia until two weeks before school. Because they had a fucking glitch in, in the, the matrix, matrix and they didn't send out applicate they didn't send out acceptance letters to like ten people in a class of twenty-five for the Institute for Research in African American Studies, Black Studies major. So I remember sitting at my computer in my apartment. I was hosting MTV at the time, and I got a phone call that I had been accepted to Columbia. I got a phone call from Sean Mendoza. I still remember. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he explained everything. By the way, Sean is a Trini, so that's about Trini Massive. And he explained everything. And I was just like, how the fuck am I going to pay for this? And I called my mom and I told her. And she also was like, how are we going to pay for this? And then I had people who told me that I couldn't do my master's in two years. They were like, you shouldn't, you, sh you should take your time. That means you're going to be doing four credits for the both fourth four credits for the first and second semester, plus another four credits for your third semester. And then the final semester, you'll work on your thesis. And that's just like clumping it all together. And like, even though like the, the, 
suggested time frame is two years for a master's. Like I kept being told by other people that I shouldn't rush it. But I had to remember like that's just information and advice that people are giving about their experience to help me decide what's the best for my experience. And I remember crying in a Chinese restaurant because one of my mentors at the time was telling me like, you shouldn't do this. This is a bad idea. And in my gut, it just felt like the right idea. And I had to kind of just stick to my guns, you know, and I will say stick to your guns, even when everyone else is pointed at you. And it ended up being like the right decision because I couldn't have stayed in school any, any longer than that. Um, and I ended up the last semester of Columbia just focusing on my thesis and it was, you know, um, about hip hop and my master's in African American studies with a concentration in hip hop. And I think one of the key reasons for why I was comfortable, you know, committing, okay, I'm going to go to grad school and I'm going to do all these classes and I'm going to hammer it out eventually became based on the fact that I knew that I was going to be able to go to grad school for something I wanted to go for. Again, I wasn't going just for a degree. I knew why I wanted to go to grad school. And I can tell you, because I have my grad school essay right here. Personal statement, Amanda Seals, African American Studies. I grew up in Orlando, Florida. The only child to a single mother of Grenadian birth, she planted the seed of knowledge deep within me at an early age. From grade school to high school, that seed grew, and while an undergraduate at SUNY Purchase, I realized that my tenacity for acquiring knowledge was most passionate in the subject of learning about the truth and history of black people. Because a black studies major is not offered at Purchase, I combined my two loves, the arts and the study of my people, to create my own major, black studies, with a concentration in the visual and performing arts, focusing not only on the arts cultivated by my race and aspects thereof, but also history and sociology. During my freshman year as an undergraduate student, I began writing. Mostly hip-hop verses, but they were very heavily influenced by the information I was learning. By my sophomore year, just as novels are Toni Morrison's and jazz was Miles Davis's, I found that poetry was my voice and everything I read, study, learn, and reflect on goes into my writing. Poetry and writing are what I love. And by deepening my learning on the subject I write about most and that I live every day, I hope to be able to make a career out of the two. I have read the works of writers like Robin D.G. Kelly, Trisha Rose, and Nelson George. <laughs> By the way, Nelson George hit me the other day to come to Smart Funny and Black. Who have all been able to not only write for their generation, but also look at history with different perspectives than those that came before them. And it is my want in life to do the same. In a society where reality is often overshadowed by rhetoric and fact by assumptions, I, through graduate study at Columbia University, hope to empower myself with the erudition to be more than just a voice in the crowd, but a speaker for my people and my generation. Knowledge and a voice are the two most powerful things to have in this world, and the further I extend my education, the stronger the two will be. When I watch television and become smothered with ignorance and I listen to the radio and am rattled with the unconsciousness of so many of today's musicians, I become more and more motivated to doing what is necessary to place myself in the position to lead, enlighten the ignorant and give voice to the voiceless. I see so many of my peers blind to the ways of the society and to what they can be. And I hope to, through my education, not only extend beyond all barriers that my race, class, and gender have constructed, but to also further my ability to help others conquer them as well. Whether teaching through poetry or text, in front of a classroom or in a lecture hall, it is my life's work, and I feel that graduate study is necessary to my being able to complete that task to the best of my abilities. What? what? You, you hear that, y'all? I was popping. 
clarity. clarity. I lost it for like the next 13 years, but I got it back. <laughs> I'm back, bitches. I'm back. So if you feel like you just got into the swing of things with school, Keep on going. Don't stop the train now. If you're able to get into your graduate program and you know what you want to study, I say keep on trucking. Keep on moving. Uh, uh. Keep on moving. Don't stop. No. Keep on moving. Uh, uh. Keep the education flow. People I like. Yeah. Ladies and gents and everybody else who defies labels. I am here with Miss Ashley Blaine Featherson, no hyphen. Thank you so much. Everyone just assumes. Because Blaine doesn't sound necessarily like a middle name. When Why? It, Blaine, but Blaine's the first name for a lot of people. But when it's in the middle, though. When it's in the middle, it sounds like a last name. Does it, though? <sighs> or people think that my, either people think that my name is Ashley Blaine Featherson, hyphen Blaine Featherson, or they think my name's <laughs> just Ashley Blaine. I'm like... Guys, people have first, middle, and last names, and I'm one of them. But your social is Ashley Blaine, right? It is. That's because why. Because I didn't Blaine know Featherson where Featherson was too long. I didn't know where Feathers like Featherson popped up on the scene, and I was like, like "Did she get married?" <laughs> no, it's my full on last name. Gosh darn it! Yeah, it's fine. Because <laughs> I absolutely have been calling you Ashley Blaine for a long but time. But that's fine. I, I guess I have had that handle for a while. So people, it is kind of like a nickname. A lot of people either call me Ashley Blaine or they call me Blaine. Well, it's like Logan. Yeah, I've been calling her Logan Larice. That's not She's totally, totally Lauren, Logan, Logan Browning. Yeah. Thousand percent. Like in a real way, but For like sure. confidently though. And like professionally, she's Logan Browning. No, I don't no, no, think yeah. she has her middle name in there. 1000%. Yeah, yeah. But this damn social media, you know, that's what it is. So is your real name Amanda Seals? <laughs> yes. Okay. But as you can see, <laughs> I used to go, I, I like had them put Diva in my name. You know, Diva's my dog's name. I named her Diva. I know. She's so cute. Yeah. How was it having a dog? You know what? She hasn't arrived yet. She gets here like on Wednesday. So you don't know. Because everyone know. stops But I me. had a dog for when, 13 years. You or your family? Me and my mom and my dad. Not so it's different. Thing. Yeah. It's different. So I'm a little, I'm scared. I want a dog and everyone's like, don't, don't do it. it. It's don't do it. But you know what? I think it's hard in the beginning. But then once you're in there, like once you're in, like once you're past the first couple of months, like out of a puppy stage, it's like the best keep telling yourself that okay well i'll keep because because it's going to be adorable so it's going to make it matter it's going to make it worthwhile anyway yeah that's my that's my thought process i'm like but it's going to be adorable it's yeah. going to be adorable we'll make it worthwhile similar to college where you're like oh it's going to be a bitch but i'll probably get to like drink and have sex while i'm there so it'll make yeah. it worthwhile yeah you, yeah College you think is crazy. college is crazy because it's an interesting time. Hmm. I have Ashley here on people I like because for a number of reasons. First of all, when I first moved here to LA, Ashley was one of the first folks that like sat down and we like had like a lunch. You know, that LA place isn't even there anymore. Really? That, that was that, good. Like restaurant. Yeah, they, there's so much turnover in LA. It's not even there, girl. It's gone. You should know that the reason Ashley and I met is because <laughs> someone on the Twitters when Ashley was on a show called Hello Cupid with. Haley, um, there was a tweet that was who sent did, out. Who Matthew Cherry oh. <laughs> sent out a tweet. This is. So I'm trying to remember back. what this the tweet was. Been, this had to have been literally. This is six years ago. Seven. 2015, 2014, around there. Because I moved here in 2015, and I don't even think I was even doing Hello Cupid anymore. Come 
2015. So 2014. But I had like just discovered it. Uh, Okay, 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 okay. I just discovered it. And that was when like Black and Sexy was like getting more visible because they also had. Blue Jasmine, sorry. (sighs) Yeah, acting. Acting. Can we talk about movies? Okay, sorry. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot going on in the new Amanda Land. And so she's like, Uh, just like, my so called life. Oh my God. Angela, don't forget geometry review. She already did. And then Angela goes down the hall holding Jordan Catalano's hand. And behind them, you hear, I held her and Oh my God. It's a moment. Okay, sorry. Yeah. So there was a tweet sent out. And I cannot remember, I don't even remember the tweet, but it was something to the effect of like, I had to correct because I was talking about Hello Cupid. That's what happened. I, I talked about Hello Cupid. I said something like, these characters are so annoying. And he retweeted it. And tagged you all. Okay. Yeah. He retweeted it and tagged you all and added something to it that just could have been misconstrued. And I hate when people like tag in yeah. people that you did not tag. It's like bad Twitter etiquette. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, can you not yeah. do that? Because that's just like adding. It's like starting shit. And also like Twitter's just had become. Twitter is a minefield, by the way, anyway. And Haley tweeted me and was like well i'm about to be in new york if you're really trying to get it pop like she was like we can fight like we can meet on a street and fight but she was kidding. now that i know her right. i'm like miss Haley marie norman is not fighting nobody yeah she was totally she kidding. was not kidding oh at <laughs> all she wasn't trying to literally like physically fight but she definitely was like come I'm see me motherfucker like what's, what's up, up? you trying to say it on the meanwhile i don't really face. think i engage i think you were like you hey. literally no you hit me and were like yeah, our characters are annoying. Yeah, I think I like, agreed because our characters were Robin and Whitney were annoying. Like, I think I was like, girl, LOL, yeah. Exactly. That, but that's just the way that I am. Like, I never take that type of stuff to heart. And everyone's entitled to an opinion. Everyone doesn't have to, like. But I it's also that. characters. So that's the other thing. Like, it's, it's, it's not an actual person. So. No. Ta da. So then, yeah. but then you were like, well, so then Haley, actually, we did meet. I remember that. Y'all took a picture in New York. We met. And then she, I guess, like, she reported back. Or I yeah. think maybe I reported back and said, like, oh, I met Haley. And you were like, well, when you come to L.A., we should meet. Yeah. And so then we met when you came. And then we've been in the beds. You know, yeah. we run into each other at World Market. Yes. And <laughs> have two-hour conversations yeah. in parking lots. And you can see Ashley Blaine Featherston. Man, we were in such a different space then. That's crazy. You mean we did not have any money? So much has changed. That, oh that, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> oh my god. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was yeah. that was that right after Insecure got picked up? Or was right, it right before? Right, like right. Right after. Right after it got picked up. I think I may have shot an episode. But it was no, no. You know what it was? It was right after Dear White People got picked up. You had just found out that. It was going. So then you were done with Insecure. What I had no, I had shot season one of Insecure, but it hadn't aired. Ah, okay, that's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. so we were in a space of, yeah. of just like this, this could turn, turn out, out well. well. Yeah, let's let's hope. And now you're going to season four, which is like I'm going to season three. Time. Woo! Holly, you're in a new. Time you're work? in a new amazing place. I'm in a new amazing place. People are excelling, Ooh, that's advancing. Crazy. You just, that's why it's so good to have like people in your life to remind you of where you came from and your journey and and to be proud of yourself. Because I never think about it that way. But when I think about that, I remember so 
Like it's so clear. You that were they buying were gifts for your agents, who you ain't even with no more. Ain't got nan person on my team that I bought a. <laughs> wow, 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 wow! Should have saved that money. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I see him. ICM. We're 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 part of the ICM system. I live for ICM. I'm having a blast over there. We're really having a good time. Whenever you hear us talking about an agency, that really lets you know. Because usually out to it's ICM, like ICM guys. Yeah. yeah. What's up? Yes. Yeah, I appreciate doing them. A good job. Yeah. Okay. Good job. Good job. They'll be happy to hear this. They will. Oh my yeah. god. I'm definitely gonna get a call. Yeah. Like, oh man, <laughs> the black women in ICM. <laughs> that I've had that text sent to me before when me and Quinta were somewhere like smiley. I love it. Who's also thriving and excelling? Live for her. As a well. lot of thrivery and accelery is happening, and it's also kind of bizarre because you're just like, I, th- I don't know about you, but I feel like I was not not that I was like on the outside looking in, but I mean for a long time you're just like I'm working towards a goal, and then you're like, oh, like we're all. We're here. This is what it is. Yeah. This this it's it's like a college class, honestly. It is. You realize that like oh, it's weird because you realize like oh, I'm with my peers. Mm-hmm. But then you also remember they were we were always always we were always peers. You just chose to put yourself on another level or to say that you didn't have the success that you thought it took to be with said people. Yep. But we were always working together. We were always, you know, rising up together. And it's and it's really it's just a really nice time in all of our lives and careers. But that has a lot to do with self-worth and acceptance and all those other things. But girl, <laughs> we talk about self-worth versus yeah. market value. You know, mm. you know your self-worth, like I'm the shit, I'm just as good as them, but market value-wise, you're like, but I don't have the credit. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't have the credit. Yeah. But also, like, what are credits? I mean, there's. It's just like what is race, where it's like it's fake, but it has real consequences. So, yeah, it's like credits are basically a calling card that says, like, I have worked before. You can hire me to also work. But the problem with credits, I think, kind of differentiates it from race, is that it's completely subjective. Like race, not comes subjective. I don't. People tell me I'm not black all the time. Yeah, but but like you are though. So that's not that's that's I see what you're saying, but I just feel like there's also like a fact we can like do blood t- like you know what I mean? Like we can say like I am an African American. Like there's no I can't just be like, yeah, I'm uh I know what you're saying. Whereas like with with credits, people can be like that credit doesn't count, and someone else can be like that absolutely is valid. Or or the and way you no get metric. the credits is completely subjective. Like you could be the best whatever in the world, and someone could still just not choose to hire you for whatever reason. Well, like, that's what makes it a bitch, and that's what yeah. makes it Hollywood. The fact yeah. that it's not a meritocracy by any means. Yeah, I yeah. mean, if if that were the case, then I mean, I wouldn't have been. Uh, trying to figure out how to get my life together for such a long time. Exactly. I mean, also, like, even when I was in school, and I don't know about, okay, so actually, let me, when you went to school, what did you go to school for? I went to Howard uh, University and went for musical theater. I have a degree in musical theater. And so you knew. Yeah. But see, and I feel like we're very lucky that we knew. Oh, I've I've known my whole life. And and that is something I recognize kind of makes me a little bit different in, as it regards to like this career, because it wasn't at all something that I fell into, like not even a little bit. It wasn't something I woke up at 17 and was like, you know what? I want to give acting a try. Like I had been doing it since I was three. And so when you went to Howard, what made Howard be the choice for you? 
Um, a few things. My mom is also a Howard alum, and and I really like that was kind of like a thing that we connected on. And and my mom is a really smart, powerful, uh, just extremely well well rounded woman, and she's the hardest worker I know. And a lot of that she attributed to her time at Howard. Got it. Um, but also, you know the distinguished alumni that came out of Howard for what I was going to do, which was musical theater and going to the theater program. Most of a lot of the actors that I admired and, and enjoyed their work were, they came out of Howard and not even just actors, but scholars, poets, whatever, Mm -hmm. just well, can you, yeah, put me on because I feel like I know less about Howard's legacy of, performers mm-hmm. i feel like i know more about howard's legacy of like law people and business like folks the Zora and, Noah Hurston yes. and stuff like that i mean um felicia rashad and debbie allen were both there yeah. and yeah cool. they're just the sisters you know one was in the acting department the other was in the dance department so we you know we have that we have i mean half the cast of a different world was there like it just it wasn't right it was also a time that a lot of people would just come and just perform just because because we had the howard theater and you know we had crampton auditorium which was known as like the place that anybody that was black and was excellent came to perform um and so it was just a school it was also a school that valued performance like i, I took a tour at spelman and at first I was like, I really want to go really far away from home. Like, I just want to get as far. Because I'm from Maryland, D.C. area. So I was like, you know, I'm going to go really far. And I went to Spelman. I was like, this theater department is so small. Like, it was literally, like, the size of, like, my bedroom. And I didn't have any heart. I didn't I didn't feel it. I just went and was like, I think Spelman's a cool school. And this is no shade to Spelman, I promise. But the the theater department was just, it didn't have yeah. any life to it. Whereas I went when I went to Howard... It was like... Do you know LeVon Bracey? No. No. He what year great. did you graduate? Uh, 2009. Oh, that's right. You're like substantially younger than <laughs> So I went to Howard and, you know, we didn't have the best facilities. And it, it's, not, it's not a state... We don't have anything state-of-the-art. Like, not a thing. But you walk in and you feel... Like we're here. You feel that we are here. You feel the hard work. You feel like the performers that came before you and the and the people that have walked through the halls and on the yard, like you feel it. And I was just like, this is where I want to be. And it was really important for me. Like, you know, I, you know, auditioned for Tish and, um, yes, Carnegie Mellon and all those all schools and Emerson. Them. And, and it just, it also really came Penn state. It also just really came down to like, I wanted to be around people who looked like me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be around people excelling every day who looked just like me. It was, it was, I grew up in like, I would say a predominantly white environment. It was diverse, but like black people were the minority for sure. Like it wasn't, it wasn't even 50, 50, you know? And so I I felt like that was the first time in my life that I had a choice. I could choose who I wanted to be around and how they inspired me and how I inspired them. And so that was also a huge reason why I chose Howard because I just wanted that for four years. The college choice. Yeah. I mean, literally, like, when I chose to go to SUNY Purchase, it was the number two acting school at the time. Mm-hmm. And so when I didn't one, get into Tish. Juilliard. Oh, Juilliard. When I didn't get into Juilliard, I, I got a call back, back though. Um, yes. It was like, you go to Purchase. And, like, Alano went to Purchase. Alano Miller. Like, uh, there's, like, a lot of people that, like, ended up at Stinky Poor Choice. Um, hmm. And... 
But then when I went to Columbia for grad, like there was like people who were literally were like, why are you going to that white school? And Mm -hmm. and I was like, but I knew, I knew though, like I need this Ivy to be able to be this, like we talk about credits. I was like, I'm going to need that in the work that I'm doing Mm -hmm. because I already know that the, 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 the opportunity to undermine is going to be so yeah. tempting for so many people. Yeah. And I'm going to need to have this Ivy behind me for yes. them to shut it up, okay. to shut it up. But college, you know, this episode we, we've talked about a lot of people asking questions about like, you know, how do you deal with college when you get there? How do you deal with it when you leave? Mm-hmm. You know, all that good stuff. So I want to take us into that, that one time. time. Because I would love to hear about, like, was it everything you expected when you got to school? Because I know for me, it was not. Like, I went to purchase, and the same way that you're like, I got there, and it was like, look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? <laughs> like, it was not. Like, I got to purchase, and I was like, oh, so basically, like, my high school was doing this way better Got Got it. And I had to adjust. And then, like, this whole situation went down my senior, my freshman year, where, like, they always cut. Freshman year? Freshman year. They always cut folks at the end of the year to, like, that's how they keep their their, uh, credit. You know, that's how they keep their, like, oh, we're the most exclusive. Everybody can't stay. (laughs) This guy in my class, like, basically scapegoated me and um, made a lie to, to lie to the teacher to try and get me cut so that he wouldn't get cut because he was going to get cut like everyone knew this because he was a trash what ass actor what did he lie and say he said that I was listening to my headphones in class which I was not and was the teacher there yes but she was <laughs> oh older God. it's like you think about acting <laughs> class though like we're all facing the front of the okay. room so she's not paying me any uh-huh. mind so she believes him because she had been like in love with him basically and she always be like oh Christian you're so sexy you're such a oh you're no such, man you, you exude sexual energy she was one Yikes. of these acting coaches who makes everything sexual by the way every <laughs> single thing sexual and she was also like low key just like inappropriate and racist like my boy Frederick McCormick who is actually like um, starring in a new animated show on uh, Netflix he literally literally we had to be animals in class one day and she was like oh Frederick of course you had to be an animal in class we've all been there and done that and so he was a lion and she was like oh Frederick it's so funny We, we worked so hard to civilize your people only to have you come here and act like animals so like this is what I was blink, dealing with. Blink. So she he tells her that I listen to my headphones in class. She flips out, starts screaming on me in front of the whole class, and is like, "You have the attention span of a three year old. You don't deserve to be in this class. You don't respect your classmates." All this crazy shit. I'm there like, blink, blink. What <laughs> is happening? Yeah. And like I was the person in class who always defied like the because like acting class by the way in college. So anyone who's listening who's going to school for acting, just understand like. There's a lot of it that really is some bullshit. Like, yeah. like you know, we had to look at an orange for an hour, and then she's like, "So what did you see in your orange?" And people are like, "Oh, you know, I saw the answer to world peace in my orange." And someone else is like, "I saw my childhood." You- and I'm like, I raised my hand. I was like, "Is it okay if I didn't see the world in my orange?" And like to this day, that's the joke amongst our class because also your first year in acting conservatory is like your platoon. Okay, I mean because they put you through hell. And the the people that I was in first year with, even though what ended up happening was that they kicked me out of the conservatory. 
I uh, they then they decided to demote it to not instead of being kicked out, they said they had me take a year off. Oh wow! And um, I think I've heard this story. That's crazy. Yeah, and I was like, wait, what? And then I ended up actually appealing. And I got all my classmates to write letters on my behalf mm. because the reason that she said that I needed to leave was because I don't respect my classmates. Mm-hmm. So my classmates, all 25 of them, wrote letters. Except for homeboy, obviously. He wrote a letter? <laughs> yes, he did. Oh, Because he was remorseful. No. And so he wrote a letter. So 25 people wrote letters. And I went to the appeals board. And the appeals committee said, we can't take the word of 25 students over a tenured professor. And so I was asked to take a year off. Um, and over that summer, I went through like every emotion possible because college, God, it, for my me, my heart's beating so fast. I would have <laughs> died. College for me was not an option. Like it was the, this is what you're doing. This yeah. is what, like, so it all of a sudden became like, mm-hmm. wait, I guess maybe this isn't my path. Mm-hmm. And I decided to like stay in Brooklyn that summer and not go home. And my mom is like panicking. And then I was like, you know what? I'm leaving after the next semester. So I went back the first semester with the idea of I'm just here buying myself time because mm-hmm. I'm going to get an apartment in New York City and I'm going to take acting classes at, you know, Uta Hagen and Meissner yeah. and whatever the fuck. And I'm going to be an actor. And I had this whole vision. And my mom, by the way, was just like in sheer panic and terror this whole time. And then I had a professor let me know. She was like, you can't, you can't quit. Mm-hmm. And I've been very fortunate to have professors, for the most part, who gave a fuck. But it is very easy mm-hmm. to have professors who don't give a fuck. And I think then you get used to, you can push those back. And then you like don't know how to manage it because you're like, well, like I'm used to people giving a damn. But that's the whole thing about college is that like it's, it's you have to give the damn. Yeah. And so basically she was like, you're too smart to quit. Mm-hmm. So what if I found out if you could, what if, what if you could create your own major? And so I created my own major, and that was its own shit because I had to get two schools of study to sign off. I had to get the social sciences department to sign off and the theater department because there was no way I was going to let them uh, not let me use the 32 fucking credits I had paid for. So my major I created was Black Studies with a Concentration in the Visual and Performing Arts. There was no Black Studies major at the school at that time. Now there is. And it was, but it was like, the the whole moral of the story though was that I had this whole vision of what college was gonna be, mm-hmm. and when it shifted, it threw me so crazy that I was like, I'm, I'm quitting, quitting cause there's, there's no point in me being here. here if I'm gonna end up as a manager at the Gap with a poli sci degree because all my managers at the Gap had like mm. these fancy ass degrees that they were not using political science, policy, uh, psych majors, ethics. Everybody had all these degrees, but they didn't have professions. They didn't have professions. And I was like, well, if I'm going to get a degree, I might as well do it at least something I love so that even if I'm not doing it as a profession, I'm really happy that I did it. Yeah. Now, here we go with Smart, Funny, and Black, which is literally me using my degree. Yeah. That's what Smart, Funny, yeah. and Black is. Wow. But I I really just got to school and thought, this is going to be a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be basically living my version of a different world. And, um, I'm, hmm. you know, and, and I was just really, it, it's going to be amazing and immaculate, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it, but college teaches you, I know it taught me that like, you really do have to be in charge of your own destiny. Yeah. Because there's so many schools I go to where people like end up, um, not, not taking the path, not taking the reins, and they end up misled because they lean on an, an, an advisor. Yeah. And these advisors, like, don't really 
know necessarily everything mm-hmm. and then you take an extra year of class because someone told you the wrong information and you don't want paying not the advisor and uh, just to give you the end of the story with the SUNY purchase thing, what ended up happening was I stayed in school. My senior year, I won best senior project and I was the commencement speaker. Yes. And so at the dinner for graduation, at the lunch for graduation, I was sat next to mm. the person who was the head of the appeals committee. Mm. And Dan Hanassian, I'll never forget his name. And he was sitting next to me and he completely forgot. He didn't have any recollection of that because that's the thing. These people are making decisions about your whole life Mm -hmm. and they don't even give a fuck. They don't even know who you are. And he was like, congratulations. Mm. Congratulations. Isn't this incredible? He was like, you know, it's it's fantastic. Aren't you um, excited about this? I said, yes, I am. And I'm really excited about the fact that I managed to not uh, leave school when you did not approve my appeal because you said that you couldn't take the word of 25 students over a tenured professor. And here I am graduating and I am the commencement speaker. So I'm very excited about that. And then all the color drained from his face. Yeah. And, uh, he went back to his potatoes Mm. and I went back to winning. So that's my, that one time story about college. (laughs) College is a trip. Like, it's a trip. For me, um, whew, so I got to Howard. I was 17 because my birthday's in December. So, right. I'm, you know, I was like the young, the young and everyone else was like legal. And I was like, almost, guys, almost. <laughs> um, and it was amazing. Like, it was so fun. Like, I, I never had any like... I'm not like, a, like I was never afraid to leave home. I wasn't like, oh my God. Like right. I, I was ready. Like I was like, they, <laughs> and to be honest, although I went to school close to where I grew up, I treated it as if I went to school in Australia. Like never did my laundry at home. Never went home oh, wow. for Sunday dinners. Like I went home like everyone else for the holidays when we were off. Wow. And, you know, talked to my parents like, hey, what y'all, okay, glad y'all are doing well. But I saw them a couple times a year like everybody else. Yeah. And I did that on purpose because I wanted to be independent and yeah. i and I, I chose independence in that way um but i got to howard and, and it's funny because you were talking about like all those weird activities like look at this orange and what do you see and i don't know if it's because howard's an hbcu but like we didn't do stuff like that we uh, didn't have like lucky. weird like exercises like we, I don't ever like it was. It wasn't until I got to LA and took some classes that I was like, "What? What are we what doing? Are we doing? We were just doing like real stuff. Like, do your emotional recall, man. Yeah. Close your eyes and do the scene. Like that's what we were doing. We were not staring at oranges. Uh, you know, being animals, trying fighting. to free float or something. I don't know. We didn't do stuff like that or becoming animals. We we never did that. Um, the biggest adjustment for me when I got to Howard, and I'm. Are we going to talk about like regular life outside of department? Do whatever you want to talk about. But I'll talk about department first. The biggest adjustment for me was that I wasn't the best. Mm. I was great, but I was not the best. And How, I, was that like immediately apparent or was it just like it was, over time? So, so I got like, to Howard, right? I got to Howard. Well, first of all, let me go back. Just to get into Howard, it is a lot of shenanigans. Okay. So I don't know if it's still the same, but at the time you had to one apply and get into Howard, Howard University. So you had to have the great, you know, the grades, okay. the letter, the 
essay, whatever, get approved. Then in order to be a musical theater major, you had to audition for the dance department, the voice, the voice department, and the theater department and get into all three in order to then be a musical theater God major. Damn. So that was the other reason why I, it was it was such an accomplishment to even yes. get it. It wasn't like they don't just take anybody and to be musical theater again because you're what's cool about Howard is that you study I studied voice with the voice majors. I studied dance with the dance majors. Right. I studied acting with the acting majors. And then we had our separate musical theater curriculum as well. Um, which, again, was not hard because I had already been doing that my whole life. I was always taking dance lessons, was in the Maryland Allstate Chorus, was, you know, in all the plays in, in high school, was Miss Quince Orchard. You know, I was all of those things. So I get to Howard and it was immediately apparent that I would, that, like, oh, these kids are good. <laughs> Like they are these people and a lot of them are from New York. So although I was doing regional theater, I was doing, I started acting professionally when I was 14. So I was, you know, doing shows at studio theater and stuff like that in DC. These kids were like training with people on Broadway. And like, I was like a good dancer, but I wasn't like, I was in modern dance. Like, okay, wait a minute. You know, it just, it became apparent in that like, okay. Because again, I was coming from somewhere where I was the best. And that's not to be like, no, you that's know, like you, self-absorbed, but I I was no, great you had at everything. A pinnacle, yeah. And I got to have which I guess is the point. You know, it, the point is to not go and be like, these, these people, people are lame. lame. I'm gonna, you know, the point is to be challenged. So that was that was hard. And and to be honest, the whole time I was at Howard, I was never like the lead of all the productions. I was never um, you know, I, I just I was in the productions, but I was never, I was never the person at ha- in the theater department. Like gotcha. I was never like on the on the marquee, like <laughs> starring Ashley Blaine Featherston. Like I was always like I had a role, I had like a good role, or I was in the chorus or whatever, and that was hard for me. I remember having a lot of breakdowns with my mom. Like I just don't feel like I'm good at like what because I wasn't used to it. I just was not used to not getting the lead. I was like, well, oh, uh, of course I'm gonna get the lead in this. And then it was like, no, like you're actually the third choice for this, you know? Um, so that was hard. But it taught me a lot because to be honest, being in retrospect, being the lead in company at Howard in 2008 wouldn't have done anything for me now like it was totally fine that i was just like one of the girlfriends in the company because nobody Somebody remembers it me too close. You, keep I, talking uh, first of all i love company it's one of my favorite musicals we can say i just being to the, alive I just, I is one of my favorite songs i literally <laughs> just listened to company straight through the other night here's to the ladies who barcelona lie. come on ah! like get me out of and here and another people took it off the train and came up the ground okay. and another dude went up the train <sighs> Sondheim, I just okay. Put a pin in that. But is it my fault? I was gonna okay. It's so good. It's so underrated. Anyway, it's fine. Whatever. But uh, all black company. Oh, all black company. Bobby, was, Bobby, because baby, you know what? Bobby. We could sing our faces yeah. off. So it was lit. Robert, I got something that to tell you. Seventeen part harmony. Like, come on. Like it was so. It was so great. But so again, it was so that I, I felt deflated a lot. Right. So I I constantly felt like mom and I would remember just going like having full on breakdowns with my mom. But what also was hard for me at Howard was that a lot of people and I'm not trying to like generalize or stereotype, but I feel like a lot of people who were like theater majors, like that's all they kind of do. Like they just and not even just theater, like 
the arts. Like, if you are a dancer, like, you dance all day, every day, you go home, you eat dinner, you go to school, and then you do it all over again. If you are, and I was never that. I was always extremely, I was always a multitasker. I was always extremely versatile. And Mm. I did that when I got to Howard. And I found that that wasn't very well received by the department. So I was the person who was taking 30 credits a semester. No, literally, we take a million credits. No, yeah. When you're doing, when you're a musical theater major, I got to take classes with all the other majors. Like, how can you take? I don't think I took less than twenty five credits ever the whole time I was at Howard. What? Never, never less than twenty five credits. Um, and that was my like the last semester of my senior year. Was I was gonna like, say senior year too. Senior year was the twenty five second semester, I think. But I had one I class was, senior year. One girl. I found my notebook for senior please. year. Girl, please. I just found my transcript. <laughs> my. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, I did so well. Like, but you have to again. You have to remind yourself, like, wow. But I, I was like, damn, yeah, I was struggling in sight reading that freshman year. I was like, that wasn't good. But anyway, <laughs> I was the one that, like, as soon as I got to Howard, you know, I had friends outside of the department, and I was like, okay, I want to be an AKA. So I was like pre pledging, uh... and then I was involved with this organization, and then I became a campus pal, and so I was doing all these things outside of the department. Not having it. In addition to thriving, so although I wasn't the lead in every play, I was still thriving in the department. Like I was still like doing your thing, doing my thing, but I was doing a lot outside Other of campus out, or outside of the department, and no one else was really doing that. I was the one that was like, you know, competing for this and in this sorority and in this organization. And But they wanted it to be more like a conservatory where it's like, this is all you do. And what by they, I don't mean the professors. I mean the students. Oh. I, I, it wasn't as understood, I think, because it was kind of like, how was she able to do all of this? It was a little bit of that. Oh, you that, welcome to my life. Yeah, it was kind of like, she, like, how I, was she able to like be this and be that? And I'm not even saying it was in a jealous way. I'm just saying it was in a no, like. No, it's a confusion. It was a it's confusion. A it was a befuddlement. It was like, because, you know, I was the one that was up all night pledging or learning whatever for something else, but still coming to class and killing it in <laughs> and class. Killing it. And it was like, okay. They ain't gonna lie. Exactly. And now, in retrospect, that's what I'm grateful for because that's what my life is now. My life is not trying to be the lead in company. It is trying to find a way to multitask. Yeah. And and, And have multiple streams of income. And have multiple streams of income and be present in multiple areas that I am very talented in. I like how you brought that. That's what it's about. But you don't see that when you're 19 in college. You're just like... I want to fit in. You're like, I want to fit in. I want to. And I also just kind of was like, maybe I'm just not like the quintessential theater kid. And I was like, I kind of never have been. And that's okay. Um, But in the end, that's that's what Howard taught me. Howard taught me how to still graduate with a 3.5 GPA, be an AKA, be in a million different organizations, still be in all the productions, be in the Howard Gospel Choir and the the standing room only choir in the department. And, you know, it taught me how to do all of those things and be great and be unapologetic about it. Because at a certain point, I was like, this is just who I am, guys. Like, I don't really know what to tell you. Like, yes, I have a chapter meeting to go to after this rehearsal. And, like, I I just was like, it is what it is. And it served me well. It did. Because here you are. Because here I am. And you're on Dear White People. I'm on Dear White People. Which is literally a show about college. It's literally about the opposite of a Howard situation. 
the full opposite. <laughs> opposite but i love joelle oh thanks me too and it's i love how you play joelle because i literally have watched and I, i've texted you and been like i just had a joelle moment yeah. because like when you're watching someone you know and you forget that you're watching someone you mm -hmm. know that's when you're like they're acting yeah this is acting you better act and you know what i will say it 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 it, that is something that I've also had to get over, but it's kind of annoying when people, I don't know if this happens to you, but when people just assume you're just like your character and I'm like, guys, am I black? Do I like to wear braids? And am I unapologetically black? 1000%. But that does not mean that I'm Joelle. She's still a character that I'm playing. Yes. It's like Tiffany. Am I light skinned? <laughs> Do I wear my hair blonde? <laughs> Do I like fancy things? Yes, but I am not like I'm not Joelle at all. No, there's there's simi there's similarities, there's similarities and there's but I am not my care. It, it it just bothers me to know in. But I guess it's just that's just how it goes. But and also because I'm an actor, I never I never did that watching TV or movies because maybe I just always understood it. I was like, well, I know they have a script. <laughs> But <laughs> and, a, and a director <laughs> and you know like I just knew that it wasn't just like oh that Meryl Streep is playing herself in every role a thousand percent for sure that just has to be her that's I mean she's just you know that's exactly who she is in the Devil Wears Prada it has to be like what no like it's nothing like her I think that I think it's great I think it's I think it's great that you were able to take your college acting career and transform it I mean, and, and translate it into an adult acting career. Yes. I think a lot of folks don't figure that out. Um, it's not an easy transition. I think some people think that you go to college for acting and then that's that. I think the same way though, some people think, why would I go to college for acting? I think that there's pros and cons on both ends. I think the reality though is like, you make it what you... You do. You just make it what you want to make it. I think yeah. it's. I think it's really interesting to share with us that story about you taking a different course mm -hmm. than the other folks because it's so tempting to just be like, oh well, that's, that's not, not how, how it's, it's done. done. So well, I, I need, need to, to do, do it this way. way. Yeah. But that would have done you a disservice. It would have done me a disservice. Well, you have done us a service. Thank you by being our guest. This has been a blessing. So happy to be here. This was fun talking about college. Right? College is just the best. Like there's college just, I'm I'm really happy I went to college. Yes. For sure. And honestly, I'm happy that I studied acting in college because I got to LA and you know, you think you had to take all these acting classes and workshops and stuff. And I was like, <laughs> why am I doing this? I was doing this in seventh grade. Like what are we, what I are we talking about? I dated an actor for two seconds and- <laughs> Uh -huh. you know who I'm talking about and he was like why aren't you taking classes mm. and I was like I, I mean I've I've been SAG since 94 mm. so yeah I was like you know and he was like and but he didn't like he had went to school for acting and then like didn't continue his training and so he felt like a void and he was like, well, I take classes because I'm basically like, this is like my master's program that I'm putting myself through. And I was like, that's awesome. But like, that's not what I want to do. And yeah. he was like, but why don't you want to do it? And I was like, why does me, what does me doing it have to do with you doing it? Yeah. It's whatever works for you. And I know I hate acting class because yeah. it made me feel like very technical about something that came very organically. Mm -hmm. And that was like, that's why like in terms of like we're speaking about college and specifically acting programs, like anyone who's listening, you know, 
not all college acting programs operate the same way. And like one of the questions I really wish I had asked was what is your method? You know, because some schools are like Stanislavski. Some schools are. Oh, you should have asked what your college's method was. Yeah. Uh, I really wish I would have asked that. And I feel like I wish I had people that would have been able to give me like some better insight into mm -hmm. that. Because like just how you said, like at Howard, they were like using like real situations to teach. Yes, that would have been very helpful for me. Mm -hmm. I feel like I would have thrived way better had I done that instead of like an entire year of Ibsen. What? what? Yeah. I'm sorry, but not necessary. But I just think that, you know, when we share our college stories, they're so contrasting. They're yes. so different. Um, but I think that's what I want you guys to take away from it is like your story doesn't have to be like everybody else's story. Mm -hmm. But education is the bottom line. And don't shirk yourself from getting a further education simply because it doesn't look like someone else's story. Yeah. But I'm <laughs> The last dose. Colegio. Universidad. College. So many experiences happen at college that have nothing to do with the actual, like, educational reason you're there. But that's exactly precisely why it's worth the venture. You know, I will never, ever get in the way of someone increasing their level of education and intellectualism. And I think the biggest thing that I hope you guys take away from this, whether you are approaching college, in college, or if you know somebody who's going to college, or maybe you're a parent, etc., is, is really just having the awareness of the fact that like not every situation is the right situation, but that there's so many different versions of college, none of which I think um, are not worth going to. I think at the end of the day, when people say like, I don't need to go to college, I'm just like, I don't know. I Everyone has their own path and journey and don't get me wrong, but give it a shot. And there's just a beautiful time and space that happens in college that you never get any other time in your life in the same way. It's this really kind of black hole um, transition, transition between dimensions that is, you know, the safest time. It's supposed to be the safest time. Uh, that you'll ever have again. Of course, when we have schools that are not showing up in terms of how they're handling sexual assault, schools that are not showing up in terms of how they're handling racism, et cetera, on campus, you know, that really frustrates me for the for obvious reasons, but also for one of the biggest reasons, which is because this, this is supposed to be, to be the, the time, time before the time. time. You know, like you made it out of adolescence, lucky by by golly gee willikers, good luck on good good on you. For getting through that period and and uh, you know flat chested titty moment or early big titty moment, kudos to you. Uh, if you're you know dealing with coming out the closet, I mean, there's just so much shit in high school. This is like I can't even deal. Like I literally had to bet Tara and Andrea that I was gonna get my FFK, my first French kiss from Kenyon Adams because they were so doubtful of my ability to do so. And now here I am at 37 and someone recently said to me, I am in awe of your pull. I don't know why y'all are so surprised at my pull. Amanda be pulling them, all right? Now they may not be the best dudes, but they be the best looking.
And if that's what we're talking about, I ain't got no problem doing that. But I digress. Higher education is one of the privileges uh, that if you're able to make happen in a country that doesn't provide it free, which it should be, that you have to take and take into your own grasp. And you have to take it understanding that it's only your responsibility. You go to school, and a lot of us go to school for our parents. We go to school for our families, our neighborhoods, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it's your life, and you got to make that experience the best that you can. You have to curate it, treat it like it is your music collection, treat it like it is your shoe collection, treat it like every class is something that you want to love. And that if you can't, if you have to take it, even though you don't like it, figure out how to make it attach to what you love. You know, when I got my master's at Columbia in African-American studies, I already loved African-American studies, but I made a concentration in hip hop. And what I did was every single class I took, even if it was a class that was not attached to African-American studies, I made sure that my final paper was attached in some shape, way, or form, to hip-hop. I found a way to always keep the synergy. And that is something that I hope that you guys try to do in your college careers, is find a way to keep the synergy, to keep you excited, to keep you enthusiastic, and to keep you growing and exploring your own intellectualism. Because at the end of the day, remember, they can take your money, they can take your land, they can take your child, they can take your name, but they will never, ever, ever be able to take your education. Star Avenue, a, podca- <clears throat> a podcast network.